Thank you for downloading this podcast from Bromley Town Church. We pray this message will refresh and encourage you. For further information about Bromley Town Church, you can go to our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com. If you have a Bible with you, then do please turn to First Kings. We have been looking at the story of Elijah. And it's interesting, when you come to preach about Elijah, you could just preach on one or two aspects of this story because it's very famous and, uh, you know, it's very encountering. It's very dramatic. There's lots that you could talk about. We've just gone through the story, but God, by his grace, I believe, has showed us a number of different things. And we want to look at something else of God's character this morning, which I believe that he wants to speak to us through. It's somewhat difficult from the point of view as we're going through a passage, sometimes you want to just miss a bit out. And I haven't tried to do that. I've tried to look at the whole story. And so today I want to look at the story in three parts under three headings, the last one being the big, bigger of the three headings. But nevertheless, that's how we're going to do it. And an overall title, if you like, is Elijah and the Power of Counterattack. Elijah and the Power of Counterattack. Let's just pray together. Father... We need you. Holy Spirit, come to this place. You are the everlasting God. You are the one who can reveal to our hearts the things of heaven. Bring heaven to us today. Help us to see your heart and who you are, O God, that we may seek to love you and serve you with all of our lives. Lord, open us up before you today, I pray. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. So Elijah and the power of counterattack, but my first heading is let it rain. Let it rain. And obviously putting that into context, it hadn't been. It hadn't been raining. If you remember, Elijah went to the king, he went to Ahab, and he said, oh, by the way, king, unless I say so, there is going to be neither dew nor rain until I say it's going to rain. That's the situation. That's what it had been like. And even on the day that we're talking about today, there's clear blue skies. It's a glorious, hot, sunny day. The only problem is they'd had enough of them. They'd had far too many of them. You know what it's like for us in our summers? We are, bring it on. You know, we get the sunshine and we're there and suddenly everybody's in their t-shirts and shorts, even if it is only like it was this year, just after Easter. Who cares? We've got some sunshine. We're out there. But when you've had day after day after day after day after year after year of sunshine and you know that the sun and the heat of the sun is causing your crops to die, is causing your animals to die, is causing your children to die, you know that there's something that's not so good about another hot, sunny day. Let's just come into this story. Here we are, we're setting the scene for you, if you like. We've just experienced, or the people of God have just experienced the fire of God falling after Elijah has prayed. It comes upon his altar, uh, it licks up all of the, the burnt offering that was put there. Then after that, down in the Kishon Valley, 450 prophets of Baal had been slaughtered under the instructions of Elijah. And now Elijah is with the king, the king having seen this scene or known exactly what's gone on. Elijah turns to King Ahab and he said, 1 Kings 18 verse 41, we pick up the story. And Elijah said to Ahab, go and eat and drink for there is the sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off 
to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed the top of Mount Carmel, bent to the ground, and put his face between his knees. It's amazing. It's quite strange as well. The suddenly go into a normal situation. Oh, king, go off and get yourself a snack. After all that's been going on. You know, we just pick up the story, but if we can just for a moment just get involved in it, there has been a tremendous day that's been happening. Because we've had all of the prophets of Baal doing their shouting, screaming, cutting themselves, hoping that the fire of God would come when they called upon their God, but nothing happened. The heavens were as brass for them. It was empty. And then Elijah steps onto the scene, boom, the fire has come. And now there's been the slaughter. And now he just says, go and get yourself something to eat. What a day it's been so far. But nevertheless, the king is quite happy to go and get a snack. So he disappears off. But Elijah, having made this pronouncement, there is the sound of heavy rain. He needs to go up to Mount Carmel. He's already on Mount Carmel, but he's obviously at the bottom rather than at the top. He climbs up to the top of Mount Carmel. Uh, Prav, can we just have a look at that? Um, just so you can see, I hope most of you recognize that where the Mediterranean Sea is. Mount Carmel is that little triangle right at the top. So as you can see, Mount Carmel is looking out across to the sea. And if you just put the next slide up as well, this shows a few journeys. You can see again where Carmel is. Can you just look slightly to the right? So I never get confused with my left and right. Uh, there's the city of Jezreel. Uh, that is at least, I don't know, 15, 20 miles away. Okay, just to give you an idea, at least 20 miles away. Okay, that's fine. Just to, uh, just to pop into your minds what we're talking about. So up on the top of Mount Carmel, Elijah bends down and he starts to pray. Change had already happened on this day. We know that change had happened because there had been an affront, there had been an attack upon the prophets of Baal. The people had themselves been in a place of indecision, but now they were declaring that the Lord, he is God. So there had been change. There hadn't been rain, though, for the last three years. And I don't know what Ahab himself thought. He was keen to go and get his lunch or his evening meal. So he went off to do that, and that was, he was quite happy to do that. But for Elijah, there's work to be done. I find it amazing to think that this man, who had been standing on the, uh, in front of his sacrifice and just prayed that simple prayer, and God had answered and the fire had fallen, and now, having just declared to the king that there's the sound of heavy rain, he has to go back up the top of the mountain and start praying. You see, one battle had been won, but now there was more work to be done. And so often we can see things just happening, but the servant of God who is behind it has to give himself to the purposes of God to see those things being fulfilled. So often we just like to read the stories and to hope that there's no effort involved. We want to go to a place like Carmel and just say, oh, I'd like to pray simply like that and for fire to fall. We want to make a proclamation that it's going to rain. But for Elijah, when he's making the proclamation that there is the sound of heavy rain, it means that he needs to go into intense prayer. Elijah climbs up to the top of Mount Carmel, gets down on his knees and starts to pray. He prays, he prays, and then he says to his servant, go and look out to sea, see what's going on. 
Now, as we saw on the map there, Carmel being high up, he would have looked out across the Mediterranean Sea. So he would have been able to see quite a long way. And the report comes back, CBS. CBS. Clear blue sky. Clear blue sky. Sometimes in the summer, Henry, my son, texts me CBS. And I know when I get a CBS message, it's the declaration there is a clear blue sky. That's what the servant said, CBS, clear blue sky. But that wasn't what Elijah was looking for. So Elijah goes back down onto his knees and starts praying again. I don't know how long he'd been praying for, but he gets to the point where he says to his servant, go and have a look. Go and have a look. Tell me what's now. Go back. Anything? The servant comes back, clear blue sky. Elijah goes back down and prays. What's it like in our prayer meetings? You know, somebody says, right, we're going to pray for this subject, okay? Can't we really want to see God move? And you think like, yes, amen. Okay, so we pray, and you get, you know, used up all my words. That's it. Hallelujah. Let's move on. And then they say like, now we're going to pray, and they say the same subject. You know, what? But you see, the purpose of prayer isn't just that we have been through something. It is that we come before God to gain a position. That we come before God to gain an answer. We have a God who wants to answer our prayers. We have a God of relationship. We have a God who cares. When I was looking at that video, that's what I thought. We might look at it, we might be moved, we might be thinking of our situation, we might be thinking of other situations, we might be thinking of Colin, because that's exactly what he's raising money for, street boys, but in a different country. We might just think, oh, it's another one of these things. There is a God in heaven. He cares. He cares. Which is why he wants a praying people. Because he wants to move in the situation. Whether it's in the lives of, of, of restoration of boys and girls in Bolivia or in Kenya or people in the United Kingdom or whether it be in a situation of his people coming back into a relationship with him. God cares. And his servant Elijah knew that he cared. Sometimes we forget that he cares. Sometimes we think it's like the world around us. You know when there's five minutes of excitement and then when that excitement's gone, no, it's forgotten about. Move on to the next thing. You know, the Olympic Games is going to come. 2012, you already perhaps... Some of you are thinking about buying T-shirts for people in your family, maybe even as a Christmas present. For me, I do not want to have one of those, just in case anybody... You know, okay, I'm sorry, Helen. There you go. <laughs> Disappointment already, but never mind, we'll cope with that on Christmas Day. There's that sense of us preparing and getting ready. But you know what? The Olympic Games is going to come, and it's going to be massive excitement, and then the Olympic Games is going to be finished. Oh, that's done. <laughs> finished with. Right, what's next? But that's how we move on. We move on so quickly. That's our nature of things. But here, Elijah had a mission. The mission was his heart was broken for his nation. I want to see my nation come back. How many of us want to see our nation come back to the purposes of God? Listen, it's going to take us the time to pray once. It's going to take us the time to pray again. We're going to want to say, God, what's going on? We want to say to our servant, is there anything happening? Are there any signs? And it comes back the sign, no, no change. No change. No change. No change. What do we do? Keep 
are pressing in to what God wants. Seven times. That's five, I know. So another two, seven. Seven times Elijah says to his servant, go back. Go back. Do you notice a confidence in this man? He carried on until. On the seventh time, the servant came back. What do you see? Is there any change? Is it clear blue sky? No. It's clear blue sky, but I see a cloud rising up from the sea the size of a man's hand. Was it the size of a man's hand because it was way, way, way on the horizon? I don't know. But it was no longer clear blue sky. God had answered. You know, you see a similar situation to this in the life of Moses. If you go back to the life of Moses and you see him interacting with all of the plagues that were coming upon the Egyptians, you'd think that if God says that a plague is coming, that it would be like, click your fingers and the plague is gone. But it wasn't. Moses had to go back to God and to start praying that the plague would go. There is interaction to be had with God. Do we have interaction with God or do we just have some idle communication? What is in our mindsets when we come to pray? God, I've, I've gone through the motions. You haven't answered. Is you, are you really a God? That was the position that the people of Israel were in. Who should we be following? Should we be following Baal or should we be following this God, Yahweh? Should we be following him? Oh, we don't know. We're not quite sure. Can't blow by our minds. You know, when we've been through the motions, he doesn't really seem to be doing very much. When his presence comes. Wow. God, he's God. He is the one. What's hindering us from knowing that he is God? What's hindering us from pressing on until we get an answer? There is a season for us to arise into, which I believe we are approaching. A season that other nations have been through because they have been through desperate times. But desperate times brings a season of desperate prayer. And desperate prayer is what we see exhibited here. I will not let go until you answer. There is a desperation. Something has to stir in us for us to get to that place of desperation. Sometimes it is God has to do things in our life to make our lives desolate that we may get to a point of desperation that we say, I've had enough. I am now going to stay before you until you answer me. Reading the story this week of Daniel. Now he was a man of God. He was a man who knew God. He was a man who had interaction with God. He was a man who, the first thing we encounter with him, he's saying like, I'm not going to defile myself with the food. He was announcing, look, I'm not eating the delicacies of this nation. I am actually going to be I'm actually going to be fasting, a type of fast. As some people call it a Daniel fast. I'm drinking only vegetables and I'm drinking only water. Now, it doesn't sound like, oh, go see, you're still eating. Oh, fine. Have you tried it? Day after day? Just having water? You know, you're just drinking water and you're on your way to the station. You think, I really fancy a cup of coffee. Ah, oh, I'm only having water. Mm. Never mind, I'll have a quick snack when I get to the office. Oh, yes, carrots. <laughs> Oh, lovely. Believe you me, you can quickly lose the taste of carrots or cucumbers or whatever, especially when it's colder. He was a man who knew God. 
But it took a point of desperation to really get him focused in prayer. When Nebuchadnezzar announced all the wise men, I've had a dream. All right, okay, give me the interpretation. Fine, king, tell us what the dream was. Ah, that's what. You are going to tell me what the dream was. I'm giving that over to you. And by the way, I'm not having any mucking about with you boys. I want the truth. Okay? Oh, just tell us the dream, king. No, 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 no. I have firmly made up my mind. You tell me what the dream is or your heads are coming off. Give you a bit of focus. Daniel had some focus because it was, he was being rounded up with his friends. Hey, it's come. Your turn. Have your head cut off. What? Daniel went to the king and said, king, give me time. We don't know how long, but the king gave him time. Daniel went back to his friends. Guys, we're turning to prayer. It's a new type of prayer. It's desperate prayer. Because if God doesn't answer, we're dead. Do you think you would be focused if you're in that situation? <coughs> Is it going to take that type of situation to get our attention? Or are we going to start calling upon We don't know what time of day it was when Daniel went back to his friends. But we do know this, that during the night, so he obviously had come home and it's like, okay, guys, we're going for it. They're praying, they're praying, they're praying. They cannot stop praying because there is an urgency in the need for an answer. We're about to die. God, don't you care about us? You are the God who's supposed to care for us. They would have been saying all sorts of things. God, we need you. And there comes a point where Daniel has a vision and he sees the dream. Go back and read the story. I think it's in Daniel chapter 2. Because then, in the middle of that passage, you suddenly get Daniel's praise. You are the almighty God. There is no one like you. You are able to do all things. You are the revealer of mysteries. Don't you think you would have been excited in that moment? Don't you think you would have turned to ecstatic praise? I would do. I've just saved my head. God has answered me. The God who I'm not sure whether he's alive or not, he has answered me. There is no question about it. He is the almighty one. He is the one that I can put my trust in. I am following him. <coughs> Brings a complete change. We see something similar in the life of Elijah. He knew God. That is why he was able to go up Carmel. That is why he was able to pray not once, not twice, not three times, not four times. That's why he can handle the response of nothing. There's no change. It's still clear blue sky. There's no sign of a cloud. Nothing has changed. Are you going to carry on? I am carrying on until he answers me. Because he is the God who answers prayer. Look, we need to get this into our spirits. We need to be fed with this information. We need to take hold of it because in truth, if we're having a private one-to-one, -one, if we're talking over a coffee and we're talking about the issue of prayer and does God answer prayer, we're all going to give the answer yes because it's the right answer to give. But what are we talking about from the depths of our heart, from our experience? Is that what we really think? Aren't we not so convinced? We're ambivalent. We're, oh, I'd like to believe so. We need him. Folks, we need him. Why not start praying, God, make me desperate. 
Lord, bring me to that place where whatever it takes, I am there. I will seek your face. Bring me to that place. We need to learn this principle of persevering in prayer. For Elijah, I'm sure it took some perspiration, but he enabled to prevail. He kept on going. His persistence was there. We see that. And he got an answer. We need to prevail in our prayers. Remember what it says in Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. So when we're pressing in and there doesn't seem to be an answer, we can come to God with a scripture like that and say, hey, it is written. It is written. You have promised. That's the same as us getting, okay, the report doesn't seem to be any change. Lord, it is written. You have promised. Come to me. In Hosea 10, it says this, it is time to seek the Lord until he comes. Until he comes. That's what the prophet is saying to the people of that day. How much more do we need to receive that word and to seek God until he comes? There is the sound of heavy rain. That's what his first point is. Second point, faster than a speeding chariot. The sound of heavy rain, faster than a speeding chariot. Once the news of the rain cloud was received by Elijah, he sent his servant off to the king. The king's just tucking into his fish and chips or whatever he's having, and suddenly he gets a message. In verse 44 of chapter 18, so Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. I am fascinated, I don't know the answer to this, but I'm fascinated to see the intense interaction there is with Elijah and the king. God is on the king's case. Don't forget who Ahab was. He had gone away from God. He was following in the ways of the previous kings, doing evil, not doing the things of God. He had introduced all this Baal worship. There was all of this, is his responsibility. A lot of it was his responsibility. He was an evil king. God has got his finger on the king, and he's dealing with the king. The king has seen all sorts of things. And now the king has experienced the whole issue of drought. And now the sound of rain is coming. Go hitch up your chariot. Get out of here. Get back to Jezreel before you get stopped. Have any of you... This isn't the United Kingdom rains. These are the rains that you get overseas. Have you been in those rains? I was in Africa once and the heavens opened. Within about 10 minutes, the, the ground was awash, about two inches deep of water and getting deeper. It just rains. And it's not like, you know, you can go out with an umbrella. It's just like, uh, you don't go anywhere. I'm hedged in by the rain. And that's what was being, Ahab, you need to get down the road. You've got at least a 20-mile trip to get home. You need to get there, boy, because otherwise the rain's going to stop you. We're talking about rain, rain. When Elijah said no rain, there was no rain. When Elijah says fire fall, the fire fell. So when Ahab was hearing, there is the sound of rain, I think he's getting the message. Something is going to happen. Something is going to happen. So Ahab drives off to Jezreel. At this point, it says, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, and the rain came on. 
there was probably a lot of people out because they hadn't seen the sky like that for three years. You know, when it's not, when you're in drought, there is a joy in rain. Things are changing. Things are changing. Something is actually adjusting for us. So Ahab drives off to Jezreel. Elijah, meanwhile, he continues his practice for the forthcoming 2012 Olympic Games. It says the power of the Lord came upon him. Now, I I just find this amazing. What is this here for? Why is this in the passage? It says the power of the Lord came upon him. And I can't even actually tell you what verse it is because I didn't note it down. Just a second. Which one? 46. Yes, there we are, 46. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, tucking his cloak into his belt. I don't know whether he sort of hitched it up underneath him. A bit, like a nappy. I mean, would he really do that? A bit, I'm not quite sure about it, but he tucked it in his belt. And then it says, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Faster than a speeding chariot. Why is this here? I mean, isn't there enough about the amazement of God that we've experienced over these last few weeks? Drought at the word of a man. Being taken away to those places, being fed by the ravens, being provided for by the widow, coming back onto the scene, pronouncing the things of God, declaring before the prophets of Baal, the fire of God falling, the prophets of Baal being destroyed, and now the rain coming, and now just to add to it, oh, by the way, God can do all things. Tuck up your cloak into your belt and run ahead of the king. I actually think it's there because the king says, no, you're not coming in my chariot. And God just felt sorry for Elijah. I don't know what it was there for. But it's underlining who we are dealing with. We're dealing with God. You've got to get it in. These are not just Bible stories. We are dealing with God, the Almighty One, for whom all things are possible. Don't we want to pray this for some of the UK athletes for the 100 meters, if somebody could tuck their cloak into their belt, what are you wearing? On the, what? Usain Bolt, I'll see you later. Because, I mean, it would be awesome, wouldn't it? It would be awesome. But God is able to do these things. Do you think Elijah had had a good day? Do you think he slept that night or was he still buzzing? What happened? What do you think? He got to Jezreel. Did he lay down? Did he have a coffee first? Did he hang out with his mates? What, was he buzzing? What? I mean, it had been a good day. It had been a good day. But my third point is this, the power of counterattack. Ahab had had a day. We don't know exactly what had happened or when he got home or quite what, but as we come into chapter 19, we read this. Now Ahab told Jezebel, everything Elijah had done. Now that's good. There's lots of things that Elijah had done. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Jezebel probably didn't actually want to hear that. Well, she didn't want to hear it. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow... I do not make your life like one of them. 
A couple of things to note from this. Jezebel knew where Elijah was. Do you remember earlier on when Ahab had been looking for Elijah after he pronounced there was going to be no rain? They were looking for Elijah. They didn't know where he was because God had hidden him. Right here, right now, they knew where Elijah was because they could send a messenger to him. He was known where he was. They knew where he was. And the message that had been sent to him was this. Basically, summarized, come by this time tomorrow, you're a dead man. That's what it was. Come this time tomorrow, you're dead. That was the message from Jezebel. Jezebel knew the power that there was in the demonic forces of Asherah and Baal. Her father was steeped in this. She was steeped in it. She'd embraced it into the nation through the relationship she had with Ahab and she had brought it into the land. She knew that. Elisha knew, Elijah knew that there was power in these spiritual forces. And now he had received this message. Come this time tomorrow, you're a dead man. What does it say? Verse 3, Elijah was afraid. Elijah was afraid. You know, we don't know whether this is the next morning or quite, we haven't got the timing exact here. We know it's fairly tight in to what had been going on. What a difference a day makes. The highs of the glory of God. Not only experiencing the fire of God falling and all of those things, but also pressing in and prevailing, knowing that God is going to answer and the rain had come. And now he receives this message. You're a dead man. Fear grips him. Grips him. And he runs for his life. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Now, when you read the story, you, you get the picture, but you haven't quite got the understanding. You know, we were looking up at Carmel, which was right up at the top part. Beersheba is right down here. It's outside of the northern kingdom of, of Israel. It's down into the bottom part of Judah. It's getting on down towards Egypt. It's right down the bottom, not at least 95 miles away. Listen, this guy, he's on it. He's out of there. Isn't it interesting that previously when we've been reading this story, it said after Elijah had gone to Ahab and made the pronouncement that it's not going to rain, it then says, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here. This time, the spirit of darkness had come to him. He had got fearful and he had run. There's no word of the Lord. There's no pronouncement that this is what you need to do. Elijah had taken things upon himself and he had run for his life. And he was running for his life. He had probably traveled all day and all night. He had arrived down in Beersheba. He says to his servant, hey, you stay here. You stay here. I'm going. What does he do? He does the same thing or a similar thing as what God had asked him to do. 
God had sent him into the ravine. He'd sent him into the back of beyond. What does he do? He now takes a day's journey into the wilderness, into the desert. He's doing the same thing. But it's interesting, isn't it? This isn't under the instruction of the word of the Lord. This is under the instruction and the hope of the man's heart. What you see here is you see, unfortunately, the flesh, the humanity, the ordinariness of our great prophet. You see that and you see what the power of the counterattack of the enemy can do. Listen, when we're going into spiritual warfare, we need to recognize we're not just, this isn't just like, oh, this is something we can do. And, yeah, God's greater. Listen, we need to be very sober-minded because there is a reality in this warfare. And there is attack that the people of God can do. And yes, our God is mighty and he is mightier than anything the enemy can send at us. But we need to abide in him and stay focused on him always. You cannot afford to take your eyes off Jesus. You must keep your attention upon him. Because the counter-attack can come and the attack can be very powerful. Look what it's done to Elijah. He's now running. He, he runs into the desert. He comes under a tree. He sits down under a tree and he prays to God. Hallelujah, he's got back to praying. What is he going to pray? Is he going to be consistent? Is he going to be faithful in his prayers as before? Seeking that God would answer him as before up on Mount Carmel. And he's saying, God, I want to die. I've had enough, Lord. Listen, how many of us in this room have sought to do the purposes of God and then we've come to a point in our lives where we are praying exactly this prayer. Lord, I've had enough. I've had enough. I want to die. Maybe you haven't got to the extremities of where you're actually saying you want to die. Maybe you have got to that place. Because you know what? When life gets tough, we get to that point point. you say, I've had enough. Look, check me out of here. I have had enough of this. You know what? I've had opinions about this story, but what's opened up to me as I've, as I've been looking at this passage this week is to see the absolute mercy of God. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you, even when you're running from him. There was no word given to Elijah to get out of Jezreel or to get out of the northern part of Israel where he was. There was no word from the Lord. There was nothing. And he takes it upon himself to do the things that he thinks that God would do. But God has said nothing. How often do we do the same? I think this is what God would want me to do. I think I'm in the will of God. I think I'm doing the right thing. I think I'm in the right place. I think I'm doing it. God, I want to give up. I don't know what's going on. How many of us You want to know that God is merciful. Verse 5. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. He'd been going flat out for nearly two days because of the fear of Jezebel. All at once an angel touched him <coughs> and said, get up and eat. Think of the similarities. 
of where he'd been before. It wasn't ravens. It's an ancient God. Because God cares. And even when we're in the wrong place, doing the wrong things, God's love is still for us. Can you hear me? Can you hear what I'm saying? Because we get in the wrong place, doing the wrong things. We do that. We're full of our ideas. We're full of the, I think I can help God out. I think this is where he wants me to be. I'm frightened. The pressure's getting too much for me. The angel of the Lord touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around. What's going on? What's going on? There by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jug of water. A jug of water. Where did the jug come from? There was not an Ikea out in the desert. I know that they're everywhere else, but there wasn't one there. The provision of God. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back to him a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord, at last, six weeks later, hello? Six weeks later, the word of the Lord came. God is faithful. He wants to speak to us. Sometimes it takes time. But it's always in God's purposes. And it's always in God's plan. And in his timing. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, for me, if I was to put myself in the place of God, I wouldn't have said that. I would have started a lot more harshly, probably saying, what sort of an idiot are you? Even though you're not supposed to use those words as God. But you know what I mean? I mean, what is going on? Do you remember the trick of tucking your cloak into your belt and running faster than a chariot? Do you remember when you prayed and I answered and the fire fell? And that was on a wet sacrifice that had been utterly soaked. Do you remember that at your word, the heavens had been closed? Do you remember about the jug of oil back with the widow? Do you remember what I have done? Do you remember the power that I have? Do you remember the deeds that I can do? Do you remember praying and seeing the rains come? Do you remember all of those things? I am able to do all things. Why did you run? But he doesn't give him any complaints. He doesn't give him a hard time. He doesn't question him or interrogate him. He merely asks the question, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Now, you have probably just read this passage again and you're thinking like, well, he's down at Horeb. Okay, Horeb is way down south. Do you know about Horeb? Does that recognize with you through any other places that you've read? Horeb is the mountain that Moses went to. 
Horeb is the place where Moses, as a shepherd, went to the mountain of God. He went across there with the sheep, and when he got to Horeb, the mountain of God, he noticed, that bush is funny, it's on fire. Obviously that happened. But the funny thing about this was the bush was not being consumed. Now go and have a look. As he approaches the bush, the voice of God speaks to him. Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. Horeb is the place of the encounter of Moses with God. It is the place where God revealed himself as the I am. It is the place where he said, listen, go and tell them, I am has sent you. I will be who I will be. That is what Horeb is. But you know what people say? Even though we have Mount Horeb, we also have Mount Sinai, and many people think they are one and the same place. Even though there's two different names, they are actually the same place. So what people think is that not only was this the encounter place that Moses had with God before he went into Egypt to see the people released, when the people came out of Egypt to come to the place of the desert to actually sacrifice to God and meet with God, they went to Sinai, same place Mount Horeb, they went there, and what happened there? Thunder, smoke, violence, shaking, as God came down in the fire on top of the mountain. And there he revealed his glory to the people through the laws. He said, I'm giving you the Ten Commandments. He actually showed the Israelites, this is the way I want you to walk in. These are the ways of God. Let me explain those to you. That happened here. But not just that Horeb. Mount Sinai is the place where Moses said to God, listen, I'm not leaving this place unless you come with me. I'm not going from this place unless your presence comes with me. And God says, okay, I will send my glory with you. And then Moses prays this prayer, show me your glory. And he's hidden in a rock, and here is Elijah in a cave. Is it the same place? Is it the same place where Moses was? When Moses was hidden by the hand of God and God's glory went past him and he couldn't see his face because if anybody looks upon the face of the Lord, they will die. But he saw his back and he saw the glory of God. This is the place that Elijah has come to. And this is the place where God says to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Elijah says to God, he says, look, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Do you think God didn't know this? Isn't this what we do? God, you don't understand. You don't understand. Yes, I do. No, no, you don't understand. You don't understand how hard it is in the office. You don't understand how difficult my marriage is. You don't understand the problems that I'm going through. You don't understand about my finances. You don't understand that I, as the prophet of God, I have been battling. I have done this. You don't understand what your people have done. They have broken your altars. They have broken your covenant. And I, I am the only one. He knows everything about us. He knows the number of hairs on our head. Not too difficult for me. He knows everything about us. He knows everything about us. He knows your problems. He knows your issues. 
He is almighty God. He knows the name and the location of every person on this earth. He knows why they are there. He knows what they are doing. He knows their circumstances. He knows what they are speaking about. He knows what's on their hearts. He knows what's on their minds. And he knows what their purpose is really for. He knows because he is God. He knows because he is God. And Elijah has his little tirade and he explains how people have been put to the death by the sword, what Jezebel has done and the fact that he's the only one. And the Lord says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then we see this story, which is good, but it, it always confuses me a little bit. But not so much when you've got the background of what this mountain represents. You see, God comes to him. God reveals himself to him, just like Moses had an encounter. God comes and he comes and he tears the mountain apart with winds and rocks get shattered and there's the wind and then there's an earthquake and then after the earthquake, God's still not in the earthquake and after the earthquake came a fire but the Lord was not in the fire and after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. This is a place of encounter. This is a place where God had sent his laws. And all of these signs had been seen at that time. The mountains had been shaken. There was fire. There was earthquakes and all of that stuff. All of that stuff was going on. This is the place now, Mo now Elijah is covering his face, even as Moses was covered. And now God comes to speak to him. And he speaks to him in a small, still voice. And the voice said to him, what are, you, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why did God say that to him? Because God knew that he wasn't in the right place. God knew he wasn't in the right place. But you don't understand God. Jezebel, and you know what she's like? And you know the power of the spirit that is behind that woman. And that's true. True today as it was in that day. The power of the spirit of Jezebel seeks to bring down the prophets of God. But our God is mighty. Our God is able to enable us to prevail. Our God is able to enable us to overcome. We need faith in this mighty. So what really happened on this mountain? God's presence came. God's presence came. His glory, his, his grace, his mercy, the fact that he will never leave us, the fact that he will never forsake us. I don't know quite where I am in the notes here, actually. Hold a second. Some good points there, actually. <laughs> There are some good points here. It's interesting, isn't it, when we see what the enemy seeks to do. The enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And we see Elijah saying that he hasn't really achieved anything. That all of the work that he'd done for God wasn't really worth anything. 
The Israelites are still walking away from you. Nothing has really been accomplished, and I want to die. Look at the work of the enemy upon his life. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. The enemy always comes with that questioning, questioning, that discouraging, that fear-engaging thoughts that come upon us to throw at us, to, take, to seek to knock us out. But this place where he was, where Elijah was, this was a place of commission. This was the place where destiny was struck for Moses. This was a place of establishing where the children of Israel had been established in the ways of the Lord. This was a place of revelation where Moses had seen the glory of the Lord. This was the antidote that Elijah needed. The counterattack that had come upon him and now God was being gracious. Provision had been given to him. Protection had been given to him. And now his presence was given to him. Elijah, what are you doing here? Listen, for some of us, I believe that God is saying exactly the same thing. Not necessarily, what are you doing in Bromley Town Church? I told you to go to another church. What are you doing in Bromley Town Church? Obviously, I don't want to say that, you know. But you know what? I thought about that. I thought, sometimes God actually has said, I want you somewhere. I want you to relocate. I want you overseas. I want you to be doing something. And you know that. This word is still true. What are you doing here? Sometimes it's like we're just sitting in front of the TV, slobbing out. Who cares? I'm just relaxing. Maybe God is saying the same thing. What are you doing here? I've called you to myself. You think that God doesn't know the state of the nation? Elijah got stirred by the state of his nation. They've broken the prophet. They've broken the altars. They've broken the covenant. Haven't the people of the United Kingdom broken the covenant of God? And aren't they building altars to foreign gods? Aren't they doing that? Isn't the heart of the Lord rent for that? Where are his people? Are his people in the right place where he is calling them to? Or is God saying to us, what are you doing here? What are you doing in this bar having these drinks? What are you doing in these relationships? What are you doing in this place? He's not condemning. He's not trying to crush us. But he's asking a simple question, just as he asked of Elijah. And the question is this. You are, what are you doing here? Because you're not where I want you to be. Now, the amazing thing is, after this experience of all of this noise and thunder and everything and the presence of God and the graciousness of God, we see a new commission come to Elijah. Because God, in the midst of when we're in the place where we shouldn't be, where we've run away, where we've hidden, where we've got frightened, where we've been overcome by the work of the enemy, where the enemy has taken us out, where the enemy has caused us even to doubt our salvation or to know whether we should be carrying on, to know whether it's worth it or whatever, whatever place we have got to, God can raise us up. The Lord said to him, to Elijah, go back the way you have come. Get back. Get back there. Go to the desert of Damascus, 
When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meloha, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. God gives him a new commission. Come on, get up. Get back. Get back. After the presence of God has come to him, he's strengthened. Folks, what often happens to us is we lose the presence of God. We get away from his presence. We get confused by the things of the world. The enemy, whatever level we might be operating at, whether it's a super high spiritual level that the dark powers that Elisha had been attacking, or whether it's on a different level, whatever, the enemy can cause us to fall. He can seeking to take us out, to kill and to destroy us. And sometimes because of what the enemy has done, we find ourselves in the wrong place. We've not heard the word of the Lord. We've got there because we thought it was the right thing to do, but we've got to the wrong place. But God in his mercy wants to get us back to the right place. God in his mercy provides for us. God in his mercy watches over us. God in his mercy recommissions us. God in his mercy draws us back to his presence that we might find fulfillment in him. That's what he did for Elijah. And that's what he can do for us. So if we could have preached this passage about the power of the spirit of Jezebel, I'm not denying that. But for me, I see the mercy of God. The compassion of God. The love of God towards his people. Oh, and Elijah, I did hear what you said. Woe is me, I'm the only one. By the way, there's thousands. I have reserved for myself <coughs> 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed down. Look, you thought you were the only one, but you're not, because I have a remnant. Sometimes it's only a small number of people, but I have a remnant. I have a purpose. Sometimes we can get overzealous for God, that we seek to do his work on his behalf. We need to stay close to him. We need to stay in tune with him. We need to keep to his timing. We need to listen to his word. Even if it takes six weeks for it to come to us, we need to wait on the Lord, that we might receive his commission and we might be about his work. Father, we want to ask you, O oh God, help us to get back to be in the right place at the right time for you. Father, if any of us have strayed away, Lord, whatever, we give you permission to speak to us, Lord, because we take heart in the fact that you don't rebuke us, but that you love us back into a position with yourself. You are the merciful ever-giving God. We praise and we bless you. Open the eyes of our hearts with understanding of who you really are and draw us back to yourself that, Father, that for each of us here we may fulfill utterly the commission that you have put upon our lives. Father, let your kingdom come and let your will be done through us, we pray.
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just as the guys are coming back, you know, every week we're speaking about the things of God because God is good. But as a people, we want to be following God's ways. As a people, we want to be surrendering our lives to him. Maybe you started that life with Jesus many years ago and you gave your life to Jesus and you've, you've prayed and you want to follow his ways. Maybe you've never done that. I want to say to you this morning, today is a day when you can start a journey with a God who will get you to the right place so you can do the right thing for him. We all come from different circumstances and different backgrounds, but he is one God who is over all of us, and he can help each one of us. And I don't care what your circumstances are, or what you've done, or where you've been through. I know this, that Jesus died on a cross to take the punishment that was due to us upon himself. He has forgiven our sin. We do not deserve it, but he has done it. And he has done it for his glory. What we need to do is to stop trying to run things our way and to come in line with what he has done. I cannot guarantee you in coming into that place that from day one you will understand everything. Because I have found I didn't and there's still many things I don't understand. But I know this, he is faithful to take us from one thing onto the next thing, onto the next thing in his purposes. Just like he has been faithful with Elijah, and we have seen how he has led him. Even when we go astray, even when we do things wrong, even when we come up with our ideas, if we come back to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry, he brings us back to his ways. Because what he desires for each of us is that we fulfill the purpose for what we were created. If you do not know Jesus, I want to be able to pray with you that you might know Jesus Christ as your saviour and as the guide of your life from this day forward. Can we just stand up? We don't always do this, but this morning I'm going to do this and say this. If you do not know Jesus Christ, and today you want to pray that prayer of commitment, I want you just to put your hand up in the air to acknowledge that this is me, and that I want to come back into a relationship or I want to start a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning. He is here, and he wants to help every one of us. So if that is you, do not hold back, but come to him and give yourself to him. If you're standing there and thinking, no, I've already done that, I have come to that place, but you know this morning that God is saying to you, what are you doing here? then will you just give yourself to him and ask him to draw you back to the position and the place he has for you. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or you're after more information about Bromley Town Church, do visit our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com.